This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Lakers are in abject turmoil. And so we brought on two guests who have their lives and careers together. Grant Hill, former Dookie owner, broadcaster. And of course, Jack McCallum, the former Sports Illustrated senior writer, both of them in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Jack is a Kurt Gowdy Award winner in 2005, and Grant went in last year. It's going to be a fun show. Take it away, Darlene. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? This show, The Mike Wise Show, is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. My show drops each Monday, and some of my guests have been Jeannie Buss, PJ Carlissimo, Isaiah Thomas, and today's guest, Hall of Famer Grant Hill. New episodes of Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko Come your way each Wednesday with their special brand of hoop wisdom. Our newest show, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, drops each Thursday. And the Pure Hoops podcast with my friends BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman is our Friday show. Please download all of them, subscribe, listen, rate, review, and enjoy me losing my voice. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show but we cleaned it up for Grant Hill because he attended his 25th Duke reunion this weekend. And we thought, you know, let's show some etiquette. Let's show some proper English and, and, and not use any profanity. Is that okay with you, Mr. Hill? Yeah, Mike, I appreciate that. I appreciate you classing it up for me today. So that's, uh, <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> All right. um, Grant Hill, whom I'm, I feel like I've known for 25 years, probably more like 20 um, has, uh, become more than a more than someone as a source for me at this point a peripheral friend although we've never done anything socially because he doesn't regard me as one of the fellas he's always been given he's given me his time and his and his heart and his thoughts and they've always been genuine and so I and if you know what I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for all that in advance sir oh no no I appreciate that Mike and the feelings mutual and uh yeah, man, I was thinking the same. You've never invited me to anything either. So, <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so let me clear this. I just want to make sure. You have part ownership of the Cox. Um, can I say about how much percentage and stake you have? Uh, I'll just put it this way. I, I wrote the largest check that I've ever written to uh, yeah. <laughs> ever, ever, uh, the largest investment that I've ever made, personally made, is, is in the Hawks. So um, I, I have a small sliver. Tony Wrestler is our managing partner and uh, obviously a, a tremendous partner and yeah. a tremendous friend. Um, but I, I have a, a, a nice piece for myself and uh, certainly uh, enjoy that role as vice chairman of the ownership group. And, uh, things are trending north right now for us. We're really excited, but I, I don't want to get into particulars. Yeah, no, I I won't get into particulars. But it, but I know you, you have a lot more ownership than Sha- Shaq does of the Kings, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but you have some decision making. Um, you have some decision making uh, power, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, I do. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Obviously, Tony, um, you know, Tony has final say. But, you know, what, what Tony's been really good at is that, you know, he could he, he could treat me as an investor and sort of leg- legally from a governance standpoint has every right to, um, you know, treat me as an investor. But, but he really, truly treats me as a partner. And so as we have gone through some things in the last couple of years, um, obviously finding a new general manager. We hired Travis Schlink uh, two summers mm-hmm. ago, who was the assistant GM with the Golden State Warriors. You know, I was right there shoulder to shoulder with Tony as we went through the process and the interview process. 
um, and, 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 and talked to a bunch of general managers. We sort of brainstormed in, in, in the sense of sort of what kind of person or profile we wanted or what we thought we needed. And so it was a really interesting exercise, and, and certainly we felt very good and very confident about who we hired. And then last summer, you know, we, we were looking for a coach, and, and obviously that was Travis's decision as general manager. Yeah. But, you know, we had to sign off on it. So, you know, we met with, with a number of people and, uh, you know, got a chance to feel them out, ask questions, uh, get comfortable with, with, you know, with the finalists and, and then ultimately hiring Lloyd Pierce, who um, has been fantastic, was great in the interview process uh, and has been just tremendous all season. Obviously, yeah, I, I, we, go ahead, I cut sorry. you off. I'm saying we only won 29 games this year, but there's just a wonderful sort of spirit in that locker room uh, and a feeling that we are doing things the right way and moving in the right direction. So there's a real sense of excitement right now with our franchise, and we're excited about that. Yeah, and I, and I don't think you're doing the PR thing at all because I feel like just watching them from afar and not having not watching the league like I used to, but with Lloyd Pierce, Trey Young, John Collins – it feels like there's an identity happening there. I almost liken it to the Wizards a few years ago when they, they're coming off a lousy season, but all of a sudden they get Bradley Beal, the team with John Wall, and, and, and they become this thing where, oh, no, pro basketball is not an afterthought in the district anymore. This is a team that can do some things, and I see the same possibilities down there. Yeah, I mean, we feel that way. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I'm in Atlanta once a week, sometimes multiple times throughout uh, the week, and, you know, when I'm around town and just interacting with fans, a lot of them uh, <laughs> at different points of the year were like, hey, you guys are winning too many games, you know, and, and, <laughs> and because of, you know, the fact that we, we have three number one picks this year and potentially uh, two in the top ten. And so there was sort of that feeling, and so which was interesting to hear fans say that. Um, but to me, that, that spoke to a couple of things. One, we're, we're exceeding everyone's expectations. Um, there's, there's a passion and an excitement for what's happening, and there's engagement. And so having fans, um, you know, feel compelled to come up and speak to me or to whomever uh, was a good thing. And then just, just something gratifying about we made a decision to rebuild, you know, two years ago. And, and we, we put forth a plan and we're executing it. And now you can begin to see where we're going. And you see that we're, we're doing a good job of executing uh, that plan. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it obviously speaks to Tony, but Travis has done a, a great job. And, and so we're just, you know, we're moving forward and, 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 you know, we finished the season and we won 29 games. Uh, and we just, it just feels good. It feels yeah. good. And we, we have three picks this summer. So we just have to keep getting better, keep working uh, with the guys we have, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, nail it this summer with, with some picks. Grant Hill is my guest. Uh, very happy to have him. I think since 2015, he's been on the lead CBS broadcast with Bill Raftery and Jim Nance. Uh, I, I, and he's, uh, you're on players only occasionally. I see you on TNT doing games. I, I, all I can say is, Grant, that you walk this really interesting line between the broadcast journalist and ownership, probably the best of both worlds in many ways. That, do you look from afar, if you could put on your broadcast cap for a moment, you, put, you look from afar and go, man, the Lakers, that uh, just feels like, how did that happen? How, how did Magic end up resigning last week? How does Luke Walton get uh, shoved out this quickly uh, with a team that we really still don't know about? I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough situation. I think we're all sort of trying to process sort of like how, why, <laughs> you know, how do we get to this point? Obviously, it's been for them and for this that franchise, a bit of a disappointment, you know, this season, uh, especially with, you know, obviously LeBron James uh, and the optimism that was there this offseason. And then, you know, uh, despite a, a, a little bit of a tough start, they started to find their way. And, you know, when LeBron got hurt, they were fourth in the West. And there was just sort of this feeling like, okay, this is a playoff team. This is a dangerous playoff team. And you get this team, and as they continue to improve into the playoffs, and you have a LeBron James who we've seen, particularly in recent years, how he can just carry a team uh, throughout the playoffs. That was the feeling that was there, you know, in late December and early January. And, uh, 
And so, you know, a lot of things have happened. Uh, one thing I've learned, I'm sure there's a lot more that happened that we don't know yeah. <laughs> and behind the scenes. But it's unfortunate because that, that franchise, uh, you know, historically has, has been about championships and been uh, just, you know, just fantastic. And, and now you bring in arguably the, the, the best player uh, in the game. And in some people's eyes, the best player of all time uh, who still has a lot left in the tank and uh, and to sort of, finish the way they finish and then have, um, you know, have Magic Johnson who is synonymous with winning and just part of that franchise and that culture uh, abruptly step down and, and have his impromptu, you know, press conference. It makes you scratch your head and just sort of say, what's, what's going on here? And, um, and so it'll be interesting to see sort of what's next. Obviously Walton was let go. It's not a huge surprise, but stability. I mean, that's the thing I think, um, it, it, they need in that franchise and that organization from a leadership standpoint uh, in lieu of what's happened this past week. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of financial flexibility, a lot of possibilities this summer. Yeah. Uh, and I think that needs to be uh, clarified and, uh, and and sent out to, you know, to the world, to the public, to the fans, most importantly, to free agents, uh, that we are stable, that we are about trying to win championships uh, and we can move forward and, and do the best job we can as a franchise. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that way. I, I feel like I understand in my business that controversy sells and 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 we all want to find a narrative and, and stick with it. I don't believe that the Lakers job, it, it, either the coaching job or the general manager job and the team president job is somewhat of a, you know, a, a Nick situation where you, you've consistently been bad over the years. And, and a lot of it has been brought on by James Dolan, the owner, and the people he's put in charge, and just the culture. It's almost a toxic culture in many ways. I, I look at the Lakers as Jeannie Buss uh, uh, has been synonymous with success for a lot of years, not just her dad, but she's done a lot of her own things as uh, uh, under him. And so I don't, I don't buy that that's, that's, a, that's a rotten job. I also think you need to – you need to get somebody in there quickly. And, and just from ownership point, ownership standpoint, if you're them, do you go with someone young, smart that can build? Uh, do you go with a name? Uh, do, who, what do you do? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a tough call. I mean, you know, I think as it relates to the Hawks and sort of what we went through, you know, we, we knew we were starting over and, it was important to find someone who one can identify talent, but two knew how to navigate and, and execute and, um, and, and could create financial flexibility, uh, can acquire assets uh, as draft picks. And, uh, and so that was sort of the profile of, of what we felt we needed. And, and certainly we found that person and we were, were beyond thrilled, but the Lakers are a little bit further along. You know, you have a guy in LeBron James who, you know, you have to try to maximize uh, and get the most out of him while you, you have him. And so, you know, the mindset, the thought process is championships. Uh, and you have some good pieces. Uh, you have some pieces that maybe, you know, arguably don't fit. Um, and so I think, you know, obviously someone who has a skill set to figure that out, who brings credibility, who can help attract free agents, um, but also who can manage people. You know, so much of it now with expectations, I believe, is managing people. And, um you know, being able to deal with egos, being able, being able to put out fires, uh, being able to get a pulse and a feel for uh, what's going on or what potentially could, could be, you know, be a problem. Uh, and so it's managing up to ownership. It's managing a coach who has to deal with the responsibilities and the pressures day in and day out. And it's managing players and, and, and you know, man, managing, you know, agents and players and, and expectations and all of that. Um, you know, I think being in that role, it's more than just the trade deadline, the draft, and free agency. I mean, those are the three big moments for a general manager, a president, a basketball operations, or whatever label you want to call it. Uh, those are important moments, but throughout the year, it's managing personalities and egos that I think is just as important as well. And no, none bigger than LeBron James. Um, he's, you know, for all... I don't know if you put him over Michael. Do you do you think he has become the, the greatest player of all time, given his longevity and and what he's what he's done with 
shoot three different teams now. I guess you wouldn't count the Lakers because of what's happened, but I still, I still give put put another player around him. I still have faith. Where where do you put him? Yeah, I mean, it, it's so. I mean, that's it's so hard. I know that's such a. Uh, oh come on, man! This is why I no, always no. said that you could run for office. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Good. All right, I love I'm, it. Right, I mean, no, I mean, I, I think Michael's. <laughs> I think Michael's the greatest. Yeah. But I think I think I think what happens when we get into this discussion is that in order to support our point of view, we always have to put down the other person. So true. And, yeah, and I think you know, I think it almost is it, it, in. The reality, I mean, LeBron is fantastic, and and um, I mean what he's done, what he's accomplished throughout his career, the way he approaches and thinks the game. Um, you know, I didn't get a, a, a real, true appreciation for his game uh, until you know until I retired, and now in my role in television and ownership, having a chance to see him up close and personal and really watch him and some of the things that he does and the passes he makes. Um, you know, just you know, like he makes things look extremely easy that most people don't appreciate how difficult they are. Uh, but with all that said and done, I mean, as great as he is, I just think Michael was better. And yeah. uh, it's no knock on him. And uh, obviously it's subjective. Obviously it's something that you can debate and argue and, and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah. I'm old enough to have played against, you know, Michael and, and Kobe and LeBron, and they all were great in their own right. But I, I got to put Michael in, in a category all his own. One of the lines I stole from Grant Hill many years ago when he told me it, shoot, I thought it was during, it was, an, it was during an all-star game one weekend and you were just so thoughtful about it um, was the Larry Holmes syndrome and the Larry Holmes syndrome uh, Grant Hill described as, you know, poor Larry Holmes, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, but he came after the greatest heavyweight of all time, Muhammad Ali. And, and he was always compared to that unfairly and he became the bad guy in many ways I feel like LeBron has some of that. I know when, when you first mentioned the Larry Holmes syndrome, you said, you know, like, shoot, everybody was looking for the next Jordan, and there just wasn't going to be one. For a while, they, they tabbed you. For a while, they tabbed Penny Hardaway until he got hurt and things went, and things went south with him. Uh, there was, you know, they even had a baby Jordan, Harold Miner, who dunked. And, 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 and I look at all the guys. Vince Carter couldn't live up to that standard. And I almost feel like in a weird way that, irrespective of who comes after Michael Jordan um, and someday that'll be LeBron James. It's all, they're always going to be suffering from that comparison. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's funny. We, I think instinctively um, we, we, we do, we compare, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we, um, you know, someone comes through the pipeline or is a young player and you say, he reminds me of this person or, you know, or, or whatever. And, and I think Michael, you know, obviously pre-internet, pre-social media, a whole different time frame, but his impact on the game, his impact on professional sports, on, on the marketing and brand, I mean, everything, it, it was, it was, he was such a trailblazer and, and, and just, you know, I mean, we lived it. We, you know, we, we were there to experience it that, um, you know, anyone you try to project that on, it, it's tough and um, it's not easy. And, and I think, you know, if, if someone doesn't, sort of live up to that then they're looked upon as a failure and uh and so i think that was sort of the 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 you know the the, the reason for that sort of comparison there with larry holmes but jordan was just so good in so many ways and i mean obviously helped carry this league and lift this league to heights that were probably never imaginable and um you know becoming a global league i mean i know adam silver talks uh, extensively about um, you know 25% of the players in the NBA now were born outside of the U.S. and it just speaks to the globalization and 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 really just the basketball becoming uh, yeah. you know a, a world sport if you will and uh, a lot of that has to do with yeah the dream team in '92 but you know Michael Jordan <laughs> you know and his uh, impact and uh, and if, we're not even talking about his game on the court I mean what he yeah. did on the court. And, and so, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I, that's how I think. That's how I, that's what I believe. Um, I, I, you, know. you, you also, you also, I mean, I think you're smart. You separate Michael off the court versus LeBron off the court. I, I love LeBron's social conscience. You know, I don't, right. I wouldn't say he's Ma, the next Muhammad Ali, but because I think the rules were different then and, and people really suffered when they stood for something. They didn't get any million dollar endorsements from Nike. And certainly Tommy Smith and John Carlos didn't, but, 
But I guess I like that in this modern renaissance of social conscience among athletes, um, irrespective of whether you're backing something I agree with or not, I like that athletes are using their platform for more than just the good, their own wealth and their own material material goods. No, and that's fantastic. And, and in this generation, they get it and they understand that. Um, and LeBron, to me, is probably, uh, at least in the NBA, he's one of the ones, you know, the, the, the most popular player who uh, understands his impact and his influence and has exercised it and used that in a number of ways. Uh, obviously, Colin Kaepernick is, is sort of you know, one as well who, um, you know, his sacrifice and, and, and mm-hmm. sort of is willing to speak out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's great. And I think, you know, look, I, I came sort of that generation right after Jordan. And in a lot of respects, we got it wrong. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons. I don't, I, I think, I think one of the things that really helps this generation and helps sort of the society that we live in today is the connectivity that's there and that exists because of technology, because of social media and various platforms. Um, we didn't have that luxury, and it's not an excuse. But for me, if, if something ha- if I'm playing in Detroit and I'm with the Pistons back in 1996, and something happens in you know Gary, Indiana, or, or, or Cleveland, or, or wherever, or oh, sure, you, know, you had the if you had the water issue in Flint at that point, yeah, and I mean, it was almost a local issue. But you know, yeah. who's to say if any of the Pistons speak up about it? Well, I'm I'm just saying I'm saying that like if something were to have happened back in the '90s, like the, the access to information was so hard, like you had to really like put effort in to find out what's going on. Yeah. And you know, and nowadays, I mean, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> something happens in 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 you know in in, in um, you know Reno, Nevada, something devastating. It's instantly on the wire, and you easily can can find out and get information on it, and then form an opinion. And, and and now you have a platform where you don't have to wait for a Mike Wise or or whoever Mitch Album in Detroit uh, to, to 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 speak out. You you can you know you can go right to your audience, to your network, to the world. And so I just think it it, it enables or it helps the modern athlete be more uh, uh, informed and engaged on social issues, and and that's something that's a really good thing. You know I I, I I'm with you. I, I was really taken. I, you know what? That's a very good point because for all the negativity that's out there on social media and the snark and and the ugliness, frankly, um, there that part of it is good. I mean, there's videos out there. You wouldn't know that someone in the black community was shot by a policeman unless someone, a citizen journalist, put it out there on the web. And and then all of a sudden, you can say, well, before we go to court with this, this is what the video is telling me. And 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 you and you form an opinion in your own head. What happened? I think that's a great point. Uh, Grant Hill's my guest. He's he's shoot. We've had Jeannie Buss. We've had Bruce Bowen, Garrett Temple, Jamal Crawford. Uh, now now we get a real Dookie. He just came off his 25 year <laughs> Duke reunion. The 25 year Duke reunion, by the way, is basically everybody talking about how they did better than anybody that didn't go to Duke. I know that's what it's like, Grant. Tell me the truth. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I, you know, I wish it was like that. I, I'll tell you what was interesting. No, I'll tell you what was interesting was that, you know, like when I was there, like I, I just, I was there this weekend and I felt like I was running for office. And, and the reason for that was that I, I, I felt like I met everybody that was there at reunion from the fifth year to 10th to fifth, you know, every five years up to 50. And, you know, obviously people are, are, are part of this, this family and they love Duke basketball and they still see me on television. But it was exhausting. <laughs> it was oh, exhausting just kissing babies and signing autographs and taking pictures. But no, it was a yeah, lot of what, fun. Yeah, but you know what I love about it is there's such a connection there. I, you know, I went to three different schools, tried to play basketball poorly at a junior college and an NAI school. And I ended up getting my journalism degree from Fresno State. I was only there for two years. I love to see the Bulldogs do well, but I don't have the connection that you did. I wonder, because college basketball has changed so much, if a Zion Williamson goes back to Duke in 25 years. Um, and and can, you, you wouldn't expect him to, but on the, on, the night, on the good side of it, Coach K has sort of realized that, that some, some people want to choose basketball as their profession now, and Duke is an, is an apprenticeship, just like Kentucky – before uh, Coach K started being okay with the one and dones, 
Do you feel like that's watered down college basketball or it's just the reality? I mean, it's the reality. It's different. It's different. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think when, you know, I think about people talk about Duke and one and done. Let's, let's talk about, go back to you know the early nineties, 1990, that UNLV uh, team that won against Duke and beat Duke by 30 some odd points in the finals in 1990, Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Anderson Hunt, Greg Anthony, they all came back. They all came back for their senior years. That's right. And, and, and so, you know, they all came back and they were undefeated in 91 and, and somehow some way we beat them in the semifinals and won that year. But I, I bring that up to say that, like, that was what you did. That wasn't yeah. just a Duke thing. That was a college basketball thing. Very few people, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, you could count on, you know, one or two hands, the amount of people who left early up until That's then. great. That's a great and, point. Yeah. And so if, if, if I were in today's environment, I would not have played with Christian Leighton. I probably wouldn't have played with Bobby Hurley. Mm. Um, and so. Would have been but, a crime. You know, well, I mean, yeah, but I bring that up to say that I think because of that, as great as Zion is, and he was magnificent this year, and was really kind of the beast story in college basketball, uh, as great as some of these one-and-done players and these teams, like, they, they're not there long enough for people to sort of have a connection with. You didn't really get a chance to know them as a, you know, as a college uh, a fan of that team or, or, or you know, a fan of Duke. And, and it's not a knock on them. I and mean, obviously this is just the environment we're in. But, like, whether you liked Duke or not, whether you, you know, you saw me play for four years. <laughs> and, yes. you know, I, I remember when I when I finished, Coach K's wife, Mama K, you know, we had a dinner for, they do a, a little, you know, a little thing for the for the seniors. And she told our senior class. You, you call her know, Mama K? You don't call her Mickey? I call her Mama K now. I didn't call okay. her that That's back nice. then. I, but, um. You know, she said something along the lines of, you know, to, to me, Tony Lang and Marty Clark, we were the three seniors that year in 94. And she said of the 100, and I'm probably getting the numbers wrong, but she said of the 120 games that you guys played at Duke, 114 of them were on national TV. Wow. And so, yeah, and so that's, that's, that's huge. And that's the people, why... The people forget you, were, you almost went to North Carolina. I think one of your parents wanted you to go to North Carolina, uh, the other, I can't remember where they wanted you to go. I mean, well, grow, you know, growing up, they were fans. My dad was a fan of Carolina. My dad, my mom was a fan of Georgetown. We had Georgetown, Georgetown. Yeah, you were you were thinking about going to Georgetown. Did did John Thompson heavily recruit you? Yeah, no, no. Those, those were those three schools yeah. were in my final list. And yeah. uh, uh, but no, nah, I mean, Duke, you know, obviously chose Duke. And yeah. my parents, love, my mom's on the board at Duke, so she's more engaged and involved at Duke than I am. She's telling me what's going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, people remember. That's why 20 years later, 25 years, there's still documentaries. They still, people still remember or talk about certain plays or, or talk about certain emotions towards Duke and, 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 and to, mm. those teams because we were, we, you know, we were there. We were there for four years. And, and so that connection that you talked about, uh, you know, it's, it's just different nowadays. You know, these teams, there's just this pressure to go pro, and, which is okay. And every player has every right to do that. But you just don't have that same relationship with these players and these teams. Even the Fab Five, I mean, at least that group was together for two years. And, and Jalen and Jawan and the rest of them were there for three years. And that's a longer period of time to really leave an impression on, on you know, on a, an entire, uh, you know, fan base, uh, you know, with, 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 with your play. I just think it's uh, f not funny, but it shows you, I guess, how contemporary Mike Shashevsky is. Uh, it, he's as old. Coach K is as old as he is contemporary because, as labels go, you know, Duke was that team. Duke was thought to be White America's team for a long time because one, they had a lot of Caucasian players um, that were good, but two, um, that there were always there was always another team like the Fab Five that just resonated more with Black America. And my friend Jesse Washington from The Undefeated at ESPN, uh, my former colleague, he wrote a great story about how Duke's now become Black America's team. <laughs> and I'm like, well, Mike Krzyzewski switched it up. And uh, if, you, if you were to go around the country right now and ask, uh, ask kids in all neighborhoods, the majority of African-Americans would probably be rooting for Duke because they had the coolest players. <laughs> right. 
No, I mean, it, it, it is pretty funny. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I think people, and I'm, I'm probably defending Coach K here, um, but people say, oh, he's, he's going after a certain kind of player. First of all, Coach K recruits to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. always been the objective. Right. And, you know, people don't realize, and, I, and I, people don't realize the, uh, the amount of players who turned down Duke mm-hmm. and who we recruited who were black players Uh, who, you know, at least during my four years there, who came on visits, who we recruited, who for whatever reason didn't come. And so people like Jerry Stackhouse, people like Glenn Robinson, people like Chris Weber, um, it was just a couple of names. And so this perception, now I think it's cool. And I think what's helped coach is the Olympic experience and, Mm. you know, coaching some of those greats. And now it's like, oh, I want to, you know, go play for the coach who coached LeBron and Kobe and some of these, you know, greats that played in the NBA. But for people to think that he intentionally went after certain players or didn't go after players, he went after guys that one could get into Duke and two guys that were going to help him win. <laughs> Period. You're Point right, blank. No, and, All right. And, and so this, this sort of misnomer that, you know, you know he went, he, he got a lot of people who turned him down. Uh, he, he tried to recruit Michael Jordan. You're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, so it's, 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 I think over time, over the years, his success, the Olympics, all of that, now it's at a point where the brand is such where everyone wants to play for Duke, which is, mm. which is great. I don't have a problem with that. I got a couple more for Grant Hill before we let him go. He's been kind enough to give us time today in between doing some work for uh, TNT in Atlanta um, on the NBA playoffs. Uh, I, I wanted to, I remember we had some great conversations about race when back in the day, it wasn't, it almost wasn't nouveau or, or uh, I guess accepted to talk about it in such a way. And one of the things I love that you told me was um, that the backlash that a player like yourself who came from a two parent family, Janet and Calvin Hill, both of whom I met, uh, obviously your mother was, uh, people always say the, the roommate of Hillary Rodham Clinton at Wesley, and she has a great career as an attorney, and she's uh, and your father has been an executive as well as you know like you a rookie of the year in the NFL a long time ago. You had this what people say a privileged background, and I talked to Steph Curry about this, and at one point, and I said, do you think that's part of the backlash toward you? And he goes, I would be, uh, it'd be stupid not to say it was, and it wasn't so much from other players anymore as it was from. He just became such a media darling that I think people resented it in a way like, oh, this guy can't be all that. And and you told me a story once, I think, you know, was did I have any street cred when I dunked on Alonzo Mourning? Did I have, you know, and I, and I still remember the story of you, a guy giving you grief because he said, what, you don't even need this. You were playing in an all-star game, I think, in high school. And uh, do, can you share that story? And do you think things have changed because there are so many former uh, I mean, there's so many players now that had parents that were players. Yeah, I mean, I think it's changed a bit. I mean, I think, you know, I think a lot of things contribute to that. I think it's not just sports, it's society. I think, you know, having, you know, having a black president, you know, mm. who, you know, was, was, was a great father, a great husband. Um, I think he just, you know, I think that image, I think you can look at the influences of music. I mean, look at hip hop and look at, you know, a, a, the evolution of, of some of these artists, somebody like Jay-Z, who, you know, was a, was a, you know, was a, a drug dealer and now is a businessman, is intelligent, well-spoken, he's a brand, he's a pop star, you know, in a lot of ways. And you can see their growth and their maturity through the years. And I think that's had a, a huge impact on people's perceptions. Um, now, I mean, going back, I mean, I, you know, I can't speak for Steph Curry or Austin Rivers or Clay Thompson or the countless of Jaron Jackson, who's a young player whose dad played in the NBA. Um, but, you know, back in the day, yeah, I mean, I remember I went to five-star uh, basketball camp in, in the 80s. And, um, you know, we're all sort of trying to find our way and trying to get a scholarship to go play somewhere <laughs> in college basketball. And I remember there's this guy that was like, yo, man, like your family's rich, like, why are you even doing this? And like, like I got insulted, you know, like, like, okay. And then I'm gonna go out here and kick your butt on the court, which I did. (laughs) And, and so this idea that. Did he end up in the NBA? No, no. You know, it's funny. Nobody really ever. I mean, I think, I think nobody ever came at me sideways in the NBA. I mean, I didn't, 
nobody ever talked trash or at least no but that did that player end up in the nba no no not at all not at all and uh and so i don't even know where that player went in college Mm. um but this idea that you know you you have to sort of live or be you know a certain way or be brought up a certain way to have uh, a hunger a thirst a drive uh to be successful or to 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 do well um is foolish you know i mean there's there's i think it's more about the person you know it's about who they are and and, and their character and what they you know regardless of how they've come up or grown up or what have you and uh and i think the beautiful thing is in the nba is that you get a little bit of both you you can see that you can see a diverse sort of mix of, of people from all over the world who grew up in different ways but you know with their talent their drive maybe some genetics <laughs> um mm-hmm. but all of that combined has, has allowed them to you know kobe bryant i mean kobe bryant grew up so-called exactly and there was nobody in that generation as competitive as kobe bryant so you know it it, it you know it's 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 an interesting sort of dynamic i think we've sort of moved a little bit past that but you know i'm sure steph has had to endure some things and you know what? It doesn't seem to really bother him. He's still nope. going out there playing, having fun, and, and being the great player that he is. Um, I don't think the Rockets are going to win a title. Um, not because just the Warriors are so good. I still have a problem, and I, maybe it's just me. I feel like Chris Paul is, I don't know, he just he, he dominates the ball when he gets it too much. He almost seems afraid of his own assist totals. Your, your thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I, I like Chris Paul. I like James Harden. I, you know, I played for Dan Tony. I, I thought last year was their window. Um, mm. I really do. I mean, I think uh, it was just, you know, everything was right. They they had a good balance. I thought they played well together. Uh, Chris's unfortunate injury and their inability to hit threes in that, in that game seven, yeah. um, you know, I think really hurt them. And, and I don't know if they've been able to, you know, sort of regain that mojo from last season. Um, so I, you know, but for Chris and, you know, for Chris's sake and James, I'd love for them, you know, I'd love for them to have that opportunity to, to win a championship. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm not sure. I mean, I, look, they're going to have a tough series against Utah, <laughs> you know, in yeah. the first yes. round, uh, Utah is not the team you want to see in the first round. And so, um, but I do think they're going to need both James and Chris playing at an elite level, uh, for them to have a chance. And, um, and so, you know, it remains to be seen if, if, if that's going to be enough uh, with, with this particular ball club. All right, last one for Grand Hill. I want to get out on this one because my biggest regret isn't not seeing some of his last games of his career, even though I wanted to. Um, and, I, and I will say this as well. I remember him showing me the zipper scar on his ankle, uh, which contributed to a life-threatening MRSA infection which he fights now and he tries to get awareness for. This is a thing that almost uh, ended his life, not just his career at one point. For him to play 19 years uh, for four different teams is still, frankly, I think it's one of the great accomplishments in sports. And I, and I know you'll never get credit for it like you do because uh, your numbers dropped off after your, after, before your injury. But I, you know, anyway, you, you're married to Tamia. I think the former Tamia Washington, a Canadian singer. Um, I didn't even know that Anita Baker introduced you. I don't know how in- Anita Baker even comes into it. I mean, uh, how- did you know her? Yeah, no, the story is uh, my wife was a singer. And, uh, you know, back in 1996, um, Anita Baker was singing the national anthem at a Pistons game. It was a ah. retirement ceremony for Isaiah Thomas. So Anita, of course, Isaiah was, you know, was and is Mr. Basketball, Detroit Pistons, that that whole city and and, and, and uh, demographic or in that whole with the Pistons in Detroit. And uh, so, you know, the big the big folks, the big stars come out. So she sang, and then after the game, I met her at the reception. You know, she was being nosy, asking me, you know, do I have a girlfriend? All these different things. So then I guess like a week later, she she met my wife, who was a big fan of Anita Baker. My wife grew up in Windsor, uh, Ontario, which is right across the river from Detroit. So she went up and introduced herself to Anita and told her she was a big fan, was from the area in Detroit. And so Anita kind of played matchmaker. And uh, I guess she did a pretty good job. Oh, 
Has Tamia ever sung that song, Sweet Love? Yeah, yeah. No, she, she sung a, a bunch. She to sings you? all the time. To so. you personally? No. To me? I don't know if she's singing to me or not, but she's singing around, she's singing around the house. So I'm hoping it's to me. Yeah, I just think she's, I mean, my biggest regret I was going to say is uh, she had a concert at Howard not too long ago in which you were going to leave me tickets for. I don't know. I had some kind of kid thing that I couldn't get out of. I'm still regretting that. I just want to know for, and I think this will be good for everybody. Um, I, I saw something about Will Smith and his wife, and it said something to, wait, what's his wife? Why am I losing? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm having drawn a blank right now. Um, Will Smith's wife. Um, shoot, who am I thinking of? Anyway, they went to, the, the, he talked about like how they had gone to a couple's counseling thing, not because they were having problems, just to be proactive. How, if you could, if you could just give anybody out there advice, uh, anybody on any level, athlete, sports writer, journalist, uh, plumber, how does, how do you stay married for 20 years? How do you keep it? keep it inside and be there for each other that long in a world in which there's so many don't ask, don't tell relationships. Yeah, no, good question. I mean, first of all, I think you just, you stay in your lane and run your own race. <laughs> you know, what works <laughs> in one sort of, you know, lane or one relationship may or may not work in another. Um, and I, I think in any, look, I think in any relationship that's of value, you know, relationship with, 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 you know, a spouse, with a partner, with, with a child, with a with a teammate, with a friend. I mean, it just it requires work. It requires effort. It requires communication. Uh, it has to be a priority. And uh, and so you know, it, you know, I'm not to say that I'm an expert. Um, you know, I think you know you're, you're constantly just sort of you know adapt and adjust and 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 kind of winging it. <laughs> you know, you don't have some sort of you know secret formula, but. Um, you know, I think if, if, if you, you know, you just, you work at it, that's, that's the most important thing. And, and whether that's being proactive, as you said, and going to counseling or communicating or whatever, I mean, whatever the case may be, um, it, it, it's not something that, you know, it, you know, it just happens. You, you, you got to put the effort in. And I think anything of value, it, period, requires work and certainly any relationship or, or long-term marriage, uh, is the same. Mm. Well, th thank you. Uh, you gave us some extra time. Um, Jada Pinkett, that's what Jane Pinkett's Will Smith's wife. And, and, and I know it's time to go because my producer, Bruce Bernstein, just messaged me that Rapture was played at his wedding as his first oh. dance. So how beautiful okay. is that? How beautiful that's is that? That's awesome. All right. <laughs> hey, hey as always, thank you, sir. I look forward to seeing you either at the finals or before then. Shaquille O'Neal has, has, has actually asked me to come down and hang out at his place in Atlanta for a couple of days. I'm only name dropping because I want to I want to take you to lunch for the time you gave me today. Yeah, uh, I'm around. So just hit me up and uh, we'll, we'll finally have to do something away from a, a locker room or an arena. So uh, I'm, would, I'm down. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Oh, this, I mean, this is great. I get Jack McCallum and Grant Hill uh, back to back. I can't do better than this. Jack, th th and now that Grant's gone, I can just be honest. You've had a more storied career. Do you agree? <laughs> no. And every, every, every one of your listeners is going, I'm not getting that comparison. Grant Hill to to Jack McCallum is not uh, not what I was expecting. Oh, but stop! Thank you for okay, the welcome. Well, I, okay, Grant. I mean, uh, Jack McCallum is very humble. He is the longtime um, NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. He's done all kinds of feature stories. Um, he he covered the NBA in the glory days. And why I'm bringing him on today is not just because I've always liked him, respected him, and he was one of those people. He doesn't even know this. When I started, when I got a job at the New York Times and talked my way in there after. Uh, thinking that I was going to be out of journalism. When when Jack McCallum started talking to me at the NBA Finals, and he's a good guy to begin with, I was I, I had to act as if I was playing the part, but it was a, it was an honor. And now I consider him, you know, like a friend in the business. And so anyway, Jack, thank you for all your mentorship that you don't even know you gave me early in your career. Yeah, well, and now you're more famous, so go ahead. <laughs> oh, stop. Uh, so, uh, Jack McCallum wrote a bunch of books um, uh, about the NBA, including – did you you wrote Unfinished Business, right, with the Celtics? I did, way back, uh, you know, almost uh, 90, uh, 90, 91 
Celtics. It was a yeah. gas because yeah, was Larry great. was fading. But Kevin McHale was anytime I needed a line, I had McHale and I had Don Casey, one of the great assistant oh, coaches. And they were just uh, they were a comedy team. I mean, they were just unbelievable. You know? Yeah, no, they were and they and there was so much insight into Bird on the road and how he'd give uh reporters that um, that some guy in Seattle or Bellingham, Washington, like a whole five hours a day. And then, and he duck out on the Boston reporters who just got on his nerves. But at any rate, I, you know, you as well as anybody have, have known magic for many years. And that relationship goes beyond just, um, uh, covering him. You've, you've, you've had a fondness and affinity for him, which all of us do that get near him. He's just that kind of guy. Did, did last week surprise you, or was it, was it typical Irvin Johnson? It was kind of typical. I mean, Magic's uh, – the funny thing is he doesn't make he – do, he never made rash decisions when he was a player for all his flash. You know, Magic, I always said Magic was a lot more fundamental, and Larry yeah. was a lot less fundamental than their, than their archetypes might suggest, you know. And then Magic in business is very, very careful. I mean, I did a big story on his business. I mean, he's a research guy. You know, he does not plunge into stuff unless he's going to make money. But basketball a little bit, Mike, as you know, he, he's done that. I, oh, I want to coach the Lakers. And then, you know, five right. guys' phones go off in a meeting and he's quitting. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this was kind of, you know, and he was back in an ownership capacity before uh, and then he then he gets out of it, goes into baseball. Although I think he's more of a silent guy there, so he's had some he's had some rash uh, things that he does, you know, not uh, you know basketball related wise. And maybe he got in here and just said, uh, you know, I mean, Jeannie Buss runs that operation. I mean, you yes. can you can say, oh, I should be doing it. Or he should have more power, or she shouldn't. The family shouldn't have that much. It's her team, and I yeah. know this. Jeannie Bus is running that team. That's the way it is. No, you're right. And um, have you? It, what's your gut that happens there? Well, I, I don't think I don't really think it was one factor. I, I honestly thought it had something to do with Luke, but then, and I'm not even clear whether Luke, you know, Luke, I guess got fired, but he's got a job two hours later. So obviously Luke saw an escape route. I thought it had something to do with that. I mean, magic did not seem to be in Luke's corner from the beginning. You know, he called that early team meeting when they weren't very good, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that it was a little bit of combination of, well, I'm not calling the shots. Um, You know, this was a little bit tougher uh, than I thought it was going to be. I mean, this league is like when guys like magic got into it, I mean, it was different. I mean, it was now, you know, you're up against guys like Bob Myers. I mean, these guys that run teams that, you know, I mean, these are serious type of guys. And yeah. I just don't know whether Irvin wanted to make that kind of uh, commitment. So I do believe part of what he said, which was it wasn't fun at all. <laughs> you know, no. and and I got enough stuff that I want to do. Uh so I, I do take that at face value. All right. Um, I want to get away. I want to really have a, an actual interview interview for you. I just give you the whole podcast today. I just want to ask you one more because there's so much news this week. Uh, is LeBron a cancer and did he create all this? <laughs> okay. Maybe that's, well, why don't you ask me a, why don't you ask me an easy, uh, an easy question? <laughs> um, no, I'm not. Nah, I guess what I'm getting at is, there are divas in this league. Of course, he's one of them. But and uh, I still don't understand some of the criticism he's got because, well, in in professional sports world, you cannot like him for whatever reason. I don't I don't see how you can like him outside of sports world because he's never been involved criminally with anything. He came from nothing, and he's really made something of himself. And I like his social conscience uh, as well. But but I guess what I'm getting at is. And he's got the management team there. Rich, Rich Paul has become a, an important agent in his own right with LeBron's help, and he's done very well for himself. And clearly the LeBron drama, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, had something to do with this. Oh, well, there's, no, there's no question about that. But I, I, would, I would say this about it. I mean, 
you take a team a team is pretty fragile fragile so you take warriors during the last uh, four years draymond could have driven let's say once in a while that team off the rails and durant gets there and and kd's been uh for one of a better word volatile let's say over the last two years yeah. and, that's, and, that, and that's just his one burner account yeah exactly so but but all around him he's got uh he's got steph curry he's got steve kerr he's got bob myers he's got andre iguodala when lebron came in and everything started to blow, blow up who's he got you know rondo kuzma so michael michael was, beasley michael beasley it was not and he had an inexperienced he had inexperienced general manager you know rob polinka uh he's he had Irvin, who probably wasn't completely invested in it. So it was a completely different structure. So when so you could say, yes, I mean, definitely LeBron factor with all that brought. Injury, intrigue, mystery, bringing in his own guys. But other team structure, that might have been able to exist. But, I mean, on this, the way the Lakers are currently, I mean, <laughs> the most mature guy on the team is, you know, Lonzo Ball, sort of, you know. <laughs> So anything great, could have happened. That's a great so I point. Can't, yeah, I can't put it completely on uh, on Irvin. I'm sorry, on uh, on LeBron. That's a great point. That that, that LeBron there. If 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 anybody doesn't have a support system there right now, it's LeBron James, and it was sort of one of those. Okay, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. You're going to have to recruit. You're going to have to. Yeah. Now this. All right, sir. On short notice, this was great. I know you want to, and we taped this on Sunday, so. You want to go get back to watching the Masters. We're not going to do any spoiler alerts. Can I have you for a full 40, 30, 40 minutes in a couple of weeks? Because uh, I've just got so much more to ask you. Whatever you want to do, Mike, I am, I am at your bidding. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Thank you for being with us this week. Uh, we never take it for granted. If you'd like to listen to some of our other shows, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks debuts each Thursday with Monica McNutt. Pure Hoops podcast, BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman comes at you each Friday. And, of course, Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. That comes at you each Wednesday. Couldn't do this without Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, everybody back in New York, including Scott Kalka and Isabel. And, of course, well... What can I say? Grant Hill and Jack McCallum, you're both Hall of Famers, and you both gave me some great time today. I'll see everybody next week. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.